What a pleasure and joy it is to be back in Mobile, Alabama, and with Dr. Fred Wolf, my friend, and with Ed and the beautiful church at Luke 418. My, what a pleasure and joy. I look around and see a lot of beautiful faces of friends from the past, and thank you for coming in spite of me. <laughs> you heard me before. I'm, I'm amazed that you came back. Thank you, thank you for doing it. I sort of feel like the old guy named Happy Jack. Happy Jack was an old panhandler who went from city to city peddling his wares, and he, he'd, he'd make enough money to get drunk and stay in a cheap hotel and then be on his way to the next town. And one day, Jack passed by a group of ladies who were having a little Bible study, and they were singing. They were singing, I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all, but Jesus Christ is my all in all. I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all, but Jesus Christ is my all in all. Well, that little ditty got hold of his mind, and he began to hum that and to sing it as he went about. And it got hold of him. I mean, their song convicted him, Brother Fred. And one day, he just cried out to the Lord to forgive him and save him. And he did, and he went to church, and the preacher asked him, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I want to join this church. Isn't that what Jesus said do? Yeah, that's what he said. But why do you come? He said, I just come because I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all. But Jesus Christ is my all in all. Well, did you get saved? I don't know, but I just know. Jesus Christ, I'm a poor sinner, nothing at all. But Jesus Christ is my all in all. And Man, they wouldn't let him in for a while. But he just kept telling them that. And finally they voted him in. And old Jack went everywhere singing that little song and telling people about Jesus. And you know what? That's my testimony. I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all. But Jesus Christ is my all in all. Isn't that true? I'm a sinner, but I'm forgiven. And thank God that you are and you're here. And what did Jesus Brother Ed read it. What did Jesus tell us to do when we receive Christ? He said the Holy Spirit will come. Now, when we receive Jesus, that's we don't we don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit to come in a second blessing. I mean, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit does it. And he comes into us at that moment, and from that moment He's in us and with us. And so, Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Has the Holy Spirit come on you yet? Lift your hand if He has. Amen. So where is the Holy Spirit today? We don't have to sit in here and say, Oh, Holy Spirit, come. He's here. He's in us. Praise the Lord. But He says, And you shall be, because the Holy Spirit's in you, you're saved, you shall be my witnesses. And then he said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth. That is wherever you go. Start with your Jerusalem. Why did he start with Jerusalem? That's where they were. Can't witness where you ain't. You got to start where you are. And you can share Christ with people everywhere you go. 
family, friends, work, school, neighbors, and we're to share Jesus in our Jerusalem. Let it overflow through Judea, spread through Samaria, and extend to the uttermost part of the earth. But what often happens? Well, people join a church, and like old Happy Jack, the church doesn't... No, no, I, I mean, there are a lot of refrigerated Christians in church. And... and in a little bit, the fire wears off. And so there's fear that wells up. And at 11 o'clock, I'm going to deal with canceling out our fear to witness. And I want to give you just an excerpt, first of all, on this. If you'll learn what witnessing really is, successful witnessing really is, it'll be powerful. This is on page 7 in the little book, People sharing Jesus, if you've got it with you. It's a definition. It's the definition of successful witnessing. What is successful witnessing? I want you to say it with me in a minute. Listen carefully and then say it back to me. Successful witnessing is sharing Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. You like that? Well, I've got to confess, it ain't mine. I got it from my friend, Bill Bright, who did more for personal evangelism, Brother Fred, than anybody since the Apostle Paul, in my opinion. And I'm telling you, it liberated me. Because I want to be, when I share Jesus, I want to be successful, don't you? But... What if they say no? Does that mean a failure? No. We've sown a seed. So, successful witnessing is, say it with me, sharing Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, leaving the results with God. Wow. So, whatever they may do, I can share Jesus. Now, we haven't witnessed until we share Jesus. A lot of people invite people to church. That's good. Sometimes that's a pretext or a preliminary step before witnessing. But we never witness until we share Jesus. Got it? So there are three parts to this successful witnessing. Sharing Christ. Say it with me. Empower the Holy Spirit. Leaving results to God. Three parts. Sharing Christ, power of the Holy Spirit, leave results to God. Which of those three do you like best? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> leave the results to God. Amen? Wow. Because I can't handle the results. And that's what gets us off track because we think we've got to produce results. And if we don't see those immediate results that we expect or think we ought to get, we feel like a failure. And see, I can't handle God's job. Results is God's job. Sharing Christ is my job. I can do my job, but I can't do His. Only God can do God's job. 
but we can share Christ. And when we do, man, the Holy Spirit works because that's what he said. You know why there's so many dead churches in Southern Baptist Convention? Because 95% of Southern Baptists never witness. How on earth could we expect there to be a mighty power and fire, church on fire, when 95% of the members never obey Jesus in his first command to witness? Impossible. You see, we, we talk about praying all the time. Prayer becomes merely meaningless words if we're not obeying Jesus. Don't substitute anything for obedience to Jesus. That's the bottom line. Amen? Well, I'm, I'm just rambling right now. Our text this morning, would you stand as we read the text, Luke 19, 10. In honor of the Word of God, Luke 19, verse 10. Jesus was coming through the little town of Jericho, and a great crowd lined the streets, and one little guy couldn't see to get Jesus. He got there late. He didn't dare push his way through the crowd. Man, he might get a knife in his rib. He cheated those people. He, he was a crook. He had stolen from them. Man, they hated him. So what did he do? He ran down the street and up in a tree. And Jesus looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going home with you today. And he did. And man, while Jesus was there, this wicked, outright sinner, Made a big feast for him. And then he comes to Jesus and says, Lord. Can you believe that guy called Jesus Lord? How did he know he was Lord? He said, Lord. A half of everything I've got, I'll give to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll give him back four times as much. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, Truly salvation has come to your house. For you indeed are the seed of Abraham. Zacchaeus, you're demonstrating the Abraham kind of faith that repents and puts God first. Wow. But some people didn't like that. They were whispering about him and said, Look, he's going to be the guest of a man who's a sinner implying that because Jesus was there with Zacchaeus, that Jesus was like Zacchaeus. They were trying to discredit him. And then Jesus told those religious people, in verse 10, he said, the Son of Man, would you read it with me? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Father, speak to our hearts about the thing that brought Jesus into the world. The fact that we're sinners. 
And he came to seek and to save us, all sinners. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I'm speaking to you this morning on the tragedy of lostness. Zacchaeus was lost. The religious crowd was lost, but they didn't know it. They had massaged their mind and their heart with religion to the extent that they felt they were okay, but this wicked Zacchaeus is a sinner. And Jesus is too because he's associating with him. And you know, that's the attitude of a lot of people in our day. I'm speaking to you about this because... We're moving in America in our day of political correctness to the point where people everywhere are overlooking the fact that sin is sin and that every person is a sinner. And people won't talk about that much anymore so that many of our churches even particularly the compromising churches that are trying to be politically correct have moved into universalism. And it's creeping into the churches right and left. That is the attitude that surely God is a God of love and he will not ever allow any person to go to... That's wrong. God is a God of love. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go to hell. God has done everything that God could do. Even coming to die on a cross to save us from our sins. And so if people go to hell, it's because they persist on their way and and reject and will not believe. Not that they cannot believe, Jesus said in John 5, 40, they will not believe. And so, the description of the lost, what is it like to be lost? If you witness much, you encounter some people who are pretty pretty weird. I mean, they're pretty far out if you witness much. But you know what, brother, pastor, as a pastor, we we would train people and we'd go out witnessing and give them assignments. When, When I pastored, we tried to find the name, address, and spiritual data on every person within our entire Jerusalem, our ministry area. And we had that in a file. And periodically we'd touch base with every one of those people so that we could share the gospel, follow up, share it again because God gives divine appointments. And when we share Christ, they may not accept Christ, but we've sown a seed. And eventually... God will send somebody and they'll accept Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? 
And so we become, the church becomes a witnessing team very often. Somebody would come to me and say, Brother Darrell, I've been witnessing to this one. Would you go now? I think it's time for a pastoral visit. Or they might say to Brother Ed, Brother Ed, this, this guy plays the trumpet. He loves music. Why don't you go and see him now? I've been witnessing to him. And so the church becomes a witnessing team to share Jesus. Now these people out there, I've, I've had them, I've had people take those cards and names and bring them back and write on, write on the card, Pastor, visit this one. He's pretty bad. <laughs> they had a, they had a slam the door in your face experience. You know what? They talk about slamming the door in your face. That's happened to me. I've, I've been doing it for sixty years, and it happened to me three times. Three times that I can remember. So that that slamming the door in your face does happen, but not very much. Not very often. See, people act like they act because they are where they are. And if we'll simply realize that and we'll share Jesus with them at the point of their need, and that's what this stuff is all about that we're talking about today. Share Jesus in a natural, non-threatening way at the point of that person's particular need. The Holy Spirit will move mightily. He'll work and draw them to Christ. But what is, what is the description of a lost person? In Romans 3, 9, the scripture says this. We before proven that both Jew and Gentile, they are all under sin. Now that's a Bible verse. Would you say it with me? Both Jew and Gentile or Jew and Greek, they are all under sin. Let me give you a demonstration. The demonstration I call the lifeline presentation. And here's what it is. What do you see here? A piece of, a card, a piece of paper. Now, would, do you have a pen on you? If you have a pen, take your pen, get, get a little piece of paper, and you go along with me and do what I do, okay? If you don't have a pen and paper, you don't have to have. You can use your hand and your finger. <clears throat> so, here's what we... We've before proven, both Jew and Gentile, they're all where? Let the paper represent sin, S-I-N. And where is every human being? Under sin. And we need God. But where is God? He's above sin. He's holy and righteous and perfect. And here we are under sin. And Romans 6.23 describes that. Under sin, we're separated from God. God is holy and we're sinners separated from God. And we need God. And we try to reach God, but the sin barrier is impenetrable. And we cannot reach, we can't break through that sin barrier. And all the religions of the world, you name them, the Muslim, the Buddhist, the, the Hindu, the Mormon, all these religions 
are man attempting through his own effort to break through the sin barrier and reach God. Impossible. So you can deal with all kinds of religions. Like I've dealt with them all over the world and shown them this. And they'll agree with you. Yeah, we've sinned. Yeah, we're separated from God. Now the question is, how do you get through the sin barrier and reach God? And they have their system. And it's a system of human works, every one of them. And so down here under sin, look at it. What's it saying? Spiritually dead, Romans 6.23 says. What does that mean? Physically alive, mentally, emotionally alive, but spiritually at the very core of our being, every human being is spiritually dead and cannot break through that sin barrier. Not only that, but down here under sin, Ephesians 2.12 says, they're without God, without Christ, without hope. Have you thought lately what it'd be like to be without Christ? Without Christ, there's no forgiveness. You go to bed at night, sleep won't come because of the haunting emptiness and because of the guilt of sin. Without God, without Christ, without hope, the awfulest state of existence is to be without hope. You know, it's amazing to me, Pastor Fred, that lost people act as good as they do, seeing they are where they are. They're lost without God, without Christ, without hope. Not only that, but the Scripture says, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6, they're spiritually blind. Why do lost people act like... They're spiritually blind. They don't understand the things of God. The things of God are spiritually understood. And lost people are like a blind person stumbling through life, feeling for a wall. They, don't, they can't tell which way to go. It's no wonder lost people act like they act. Oh, I was in a rod Romania. Kathy and I were. And... Uh, I'd been in Aradia teaching this kind of thing in the seminary in Aradia, Romania. And they asked me to come to Arad down south to preach. And it was in a big church. And in this church, it was all up steps. Big church. And I, I went in. They seated me on the platform. Would you believe, those people believe in going to church. I mean, it filled up. Even the aisles were full. The choir, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't move around like I'm now. I was trapped in the pulpit or in the chair I was seated in. The crowd even filled the platform. And the people were gracious and generous. The service lasted three hours, Brother Ed. But they alternated about every 20 minutes of taking one another's place standing while others were seated and rested. And one reason for that was there were 32 people that night who gave their, test, their salvation testimony so they could get baptized. Everybody had to give a full salvation testimony before they'd get baptized. 
So we were there about three hours. Finally came my time to preach. And I got up and I was preaching on the same thing I'm preaching on here today. And I said, those who are lost are under sin, separated from God, and they're spiritually blind. And I said, it's like in this room. By that time, there was a huge storm that had blown in. And it was lightning and thundering and raining. Oh, it was bad. And I said, suppose in this storm, suddenly the lights went off. Would you believe I hit the pulpit and the lights went off? (laughs) Suddenly did. Now, you don't believe this. This is not just a preacher tale. Kathy's here to verify it. And I, I talked about what it would be like. We'd panic. I would fall off the platform. You would panic and you'd trample one another and people would be killed in all of the, all of the hubbub of what's going on in our panic. That's lostness. The tragedy of lostness. Like people stumbling through life, can't see where to go. But I said, when Jesus comes, suddenly the light comes on. And I hit the pulpit again, and would you believe? The light did come on at that moment. We had a bunch of people saved that night. I mean, God did a demonstration. And when the light of Jesus comes, Spiritual darkness goes, and we can understand the things of God, and we can walk with God under sin, spiritually blind. And under sin, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. For the wicked are like the troubled sea when it can't rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. No peace, no peace. Loneliness, heartbreak, sorrow. Dread for the destiny of the lost. There's a twofold destiny of lost people. Earthly lost because Jesus said, John 15, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bring forth much fruit for that without me you can do nothing. And so the lost one dies, and no matter how much money they've gained, what kind of house they've lived in, automobile they've driven, no matter how much authority and popularity they've had, they look back with regret over a wasted, wasted life. That's not the worst thing. The worst thing is eternal loss. For like the rich man Jesus told about in hell, they lift up their eyes being in torments. Oh, the tragedy of lostness in hell forever. I want you to imagine that family member of yours who's lost. And I tell you, churches... And Christians are so filled with disobedience today that we live with them. We say we love them, but we live with them and we let them live and die and go to hell 
without ever stirring ourselves to help them to Jesus so they'll not be lost. Oh, dear people, the tragedy of lostness. Now, the huge question is the deliverance of the lost. Thank God I don't have to close here. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Bible is the book not of condemnation but of hope. For Jesus said, He that believes in me is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There's deliverance. But where's the deliverance come from? God loved us so much. John 3, 16. You know that. For God saith. And God loved us so much that God took the initiative to do what we couldn't do. God came to us in and through the person of Jesus. Jesus penetrated that sin barrier, came into our situation, into our world. And the one who knew no sin, he lived without sin. But they hated him because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They hated him. And what do you see here? Everybody. A cross. And they nailed him to a cross. And God did a miracle. God reached out through all of the world, through all of time, to every person, you, 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 and me. And he brought the guilt of our sins. And concentrated the guilt of our sin into the body of Jesus. And on that cross, the one who knew no sin became sin for us. And it killed him. This is the Easter story. You can, you can particularly being Easter, you can tell the story. And he became sin for us. It killed him. It wasn't the nails through his hands and feet that killed him. The scripture says that when he was dead, they ripped open his side and outflowed blood and water. Medical technicians tell us that blood and water in that region of the stomach indicates that his heart had ruptured. For just before he died, he cried. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the first time in the eons of the ages, ever, ever, the first time ever, suddenly, God who cannot look upon sin withdrew from his own son and Jesus bore our sins, the fullness of our sins in his own body on the cross. He suffered our hell for us. But on the third day, by the mighty power of God. God did another miracle. 
He raised up Jesus from the dead. And he lives today. Amen. Amen. Now, let me close with a little story. It's not a short story. But we have time. I'm watching the clock. Fred, do you watch the clock? (laughs) I had an invitation from Mission America to go to Houston, Texas. And... uh, it was before we had moved back there, and to preach or speak at an evangelism emphasis meeting. They were going to emphasize prayer, but they wanted the evangelism part in it too, so they called on me. And uh, it was downtown Houston in the Hyatt Hotel. I'm telling you what, it was on Saturday morning. I'm telling you what, there's nothing on Saturday morning deader than downtown Houston, Texas. Nobody was around. I got up at 7 a.m. so I could get an early start so I could go get breakfast and be energized for my speaking time. And So I went down at 7 o'clock. I was going to order my bowl of oatmeal. Oh, what a horrible way to begin a Saturday. They tell me it's healthy for you. I hope it is, but I'm not sure. And so I walked in the restaurant. Nobody's in there. Empty. Sat down. And a guy walks up. He has a name tag on. Nasir. Well, I'm not very bright. But I knew that Nasir is not a typical Texas name. So I began to witness to him. I was going to witness to him. He doesn't know it yet. And I use something that's in chapter 4 of this little book. The F-I-R-M. F for family, I for interest, R for religious background, M for message. I'm going to use that conversation guide to get into a conversation with him and lead it to a witness for Christ. And so I do the F thing. I said, Nasir, tell me where you're from. And he said, oh, I'm from Bangladesh. I said, my goodness, that's a long way off. I said, I've, I've never been there, but I hear it's a beautiful, beautiful place. He said, yes, it is. I said, well, that's F for family background. So, and, and I said, Never been there. Would you tell me about your homeland? And he, he just starts and he pours it out for it for about, oh, several minutes he went on. I dare say it's the first time since he came to Houston, Texas, that anybody had ever listened to him talk about what he loved the most. And he did. And he enjoyed it. And I said, well, Nasir, tell me where you live now. He said, oh, I live out the Southwest Freeway out uh, in the Sugar Creek area. And I catalog that. I'm going to use it a little later on to talk about the R for religion because I know of it. I preached at a church out there at Sugar Creek. And so I'm going to talk to him about that, but not yet. So I asked him the second thing. Well, tell me what you're doing in Houston, Texas. He said, oh, I'm an engineer. Well, things are not always like they appear, are they? This guy's a professional guy. 
But he doesn't look like it. He's waiting tables. I said, well, what are you doing here in the hotel? He said, oh, I'm waiting tables to try to make enough money to get by until they approve my engineer license in Texas. I said, well, that's great. I said, I'll just pray for you. They'll do that soon. And then I get to the next point. I said, Sugar Creek. I said, I've been out there. In fact, I've been to a church out there. It's a Baptist church. Sugar Creek Baptist Church. Do you ever go there, Nasir? Oh, no, no, no. I'm Muslim. I said, oh, you are. I said, that's interesting. I said, well, Nasir, you Muslims believe in Jesus, don't you? See, I'm taking, don't, don't ever attack people you're going to witness to. You lose them. So I think the best of him, and I take an approach that, that does not offend him. I say, you, you, you Muslims believe in Jesus, don't you? And they do. They, they believe some things about Jesus. He said, yes, we do. I said, well, that's great. I said, Nasir, I believe in Jesus, and I believe that he's the Son of God, and he came and died on the cross for my sins and rose again, and I received him into my heart, and he changed my life. He said, oh, I couldn't believe that. I said, well, how come? He said, oh, I believe there's only one God, not three. I said, oh, but Nasir, and I, here, I am racking my brain and thinking, how on earth can I explain the inexplainable trinity to this guy? And you know, there are three things God uses to bring people to Christ. This is chapter 3. We're on an unbeatable team of three. One's the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. Second is the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God as his sword. And the third is the witnessing believer, and that's me, and that's you. And so that threefold team God's using, and as I'm trying to think of what, how on earth I can explain this, the Holy Spirit, I guess, just put something on my mind that I'd heard years ago. I said, well, Nasir, it's like this. I am one man, but I'm a husband to my wife, a father to my daughter, and a son to my mother. And I'm thinking, that really is not very good. And I'm think, trying to think of something better. And he slaps the table. He said, yeah, that's good. I understand that. I said, you do. <laughs> I said, well, Nasir, could I explain it to you? Sure. I said, really, it takes the Trinity, a triune God, to explain what God's done. And I took my napkin and I showed him how we're all under sin and we need God, but whether we're Baptist or Muslim, we cannot break through and reach God. But God the Father so loved the world that he came in and through the person of his son Jesus and he entered our world. And I told him about the death of Christ on the cross and he's taking our sins and how he died for you.
Now see her and for me. But on the third day, he rose again. And he lives today. And if you'll come to him, that third person of the Trinity, if you'll come to Jesus and just say to him, Lord, I'm repenting of my sins and turning away from my old life, and I'm turning to you, receiving Jesus, forgive me, and I commit my life to you. The Holy Spirit will do his mighty work, and he'll do a miracle And he'll transform you and bring you through that sin barrier into a new position with God so you're on your way to heaven. Isn't that beautiful? I said, now, Nasir, if I could, I'd do that for you, but I couldn't. You'd have to do it yourself. But I could do this. I could pray for you and with you as you call on Jesus. Can we do that now? He said, yes. Well, let's just bow our heads and I'll pray. He didn't bow his head. He fell on his knees by the corner of the table. And I prayed about two sentences. You know, preachers like to talk too much. And that's the wrong time to talk a lot. And I prayed, Lord, Nasir wants to receive you. Just put your words in his mouth. Thank you. Amen. Nasir, now would you call on him? And that guy did. And man, alive, he poured out his heart to Jesus. And I said, Nasir, if you're receiving Jesus, committing your life to follow him no matter what, no matter what your friends or family, anybody else does, you're going to follow Jesus. Take my hand and say, I will. He said, I will. Wow. And I taught him what to do next. I mean, about going to church, baptism, reading your Bible, and so on. And he went off to get my oatmeal. Would you believe while he was gone, a friend of mine from Sugar Creek Baptist Church came and sat down with me. Isn't the Holy Spirit wonderful? He's taking care of not only the witnessing, beginning discipleship, he's taking care of the follow-up. And so, in a little bit, he brings my oatmeal, and I get done, I wave at him, I see her, I need my check. He said, oh no, no check for you. I said, sure, you're trying to make a living, you're trying to, try, try, trying to make a living while, while, while you're, you get your license. And he said, no. He said, after all you've done for me, that's the least I can do for you. See, it pays to witness. You might get a free bowl of oatmeal for breakfast. (laughs) No, you get more than that. You get the joy of seeing somebody come to Jesus. Praise the Lord.